Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. How many movie fans do we have in the house, all right? How many would take some free movie tickets? Let me see your hand. I'm not going to give any. I just wanted to see... I just wanted to see if I'd get some more hands raised, okay? Uh, and uh, we like a little interaction around here, by the way. And uh, we're movie fans in, in our family. Um, and so we've watched a lot of movies over the years. And, um, and, and one of the things, there, there's kind of this flow or this rhythm, in my opinion, that makes a good movie. Um, a, a good movie or even a good uh, stage play or even a good book I think it starts right off with a problem. Now, how many can relate to a problem, right? It just starts with the intensity, the problem, the issue, and it just kind of gets you right up on the edge of your seat. And then the whole story of the movie or the movie or the play or whatever it is, the whole next acts is all to solve the problems that was created in the opening scene. And then we get to the end, and hopefully there's a resolve and we live happily ever after, credits roll, lights fade, audience leaves. Right, everyone? Right? That, that's a good movie. And, and, and there's some movies with great endings. Now, I would love to go around the room. I won't take the time today. But let me tell you a couple of my favorite movie endings. Well, first of all, my very favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Can I get an aww? How many have not seen Amer- uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Can I just see your hands? Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. And uh, I-, I know you probably wouldn't expect a guy like me to like It's a Wonderful Life. It's just such a tearjerker. It's such a heartwarming. And when they get to the ending of the movie, I love it. Because George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, the whole community comes together. They take an up an offering to get him out of a problem that he's in. And, and it's just great, and the music starts playing, and of course it's Christmas music, and his little daughter says, look, Daddy, the teacher always said when a bell rings, how many of you have seen it, right? And it's just like, it's like the whole community's there, and they're singing kumbaya. It's just, it's just wonderful. It's one of my favorite all-time endings of every movie. Of course, let me just say, I think It's a Wonderful Life has a great ending and a bad ending. Because I love the good ending part, the feel good. But the sinner that's still working in me wants somebody to go and find Mr. Potter and beat him up. How many know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, just go ahead and break his legs. They don't work anyway, so just break them, you know? I know that's terrible. And I know I shouldn't talk about movies on a Sunday morning because everybody has a different opinion about a movie, but another great ending is The Shawshank Redemption. Anybody seen that movie? You're allowed to say it in church if you've seen the movie. What makes the movie so great is Morgan Freeman is narrating the whole story. My life would be a hundred times better if Morgan Freeman was narrating my life. I just miss my friend. You know, I mean, it's just, it just makes it great. But here is Andy Dufresne who is in prison, and he's falsely accused. He's actually innocent. He breaks out, spoiler alert today, 
Morgan Freeman, he spends the rest of his time in prison. He gets out. And anyway, they meet on a beach in Mexico with no one else there to work on a boat together. Come on. Credits roll, light fades, tears roll. I mean, it's just a wonderful. But how many know there's just as many good endings as there are to movies? How many has ever seen a movie with a terrible ending? Like, you're just mad that you sat there for the whole two hours and, and you're kind of ticked off. Anybody at all? Well, now, this is just mine. Again, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, but here's one of mine. I love the movie Interstellar. Anybody ever seen that movie? Anybody know that movie? It's a great movie. Matthew McConaughey, he has to go into outer space to solve some problems. He, he time bends and go, oh, yeah, okay. And, and he goes, through. I wish you would do that in my sermons, but anyway, <laughs> and, and, and it's a great movie, I'm not taking it, this is just personally the reason I hate the ending, is because like he's traveling through these wormholes in space, and when he gets back, he's no older, but his little girl that he left behind is on her deathbed ready to die, I hate that ending, there's just some movies that don't have good endings, uh, or M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Anybody ever seen that movie? That's the dumbest ending of any movie I've ever seen. It just ticks me off. But I won't say any more about it because if you haven't seen it, I'm getting riled up about these movies, you know. But the book of Jonah perhaps has the worst ending of any book in the entire Bible. It really was written as a stage play, and it's a horrible stage play ending. It's a horrible movie ending. It's almost like the writer decided he was out of time, didn't want to put any more mental horsepower into concluding the story, dropped the pen, and walked off the stage. It's like, what is going on? I mean, it ends with them talking about cows, everybody. There's no resolve. There's no conclusion. Let me give you the story. Jonah opens up with God wants the hero, supposedly, of the story to go solve the problem of the Assyrians. Well, the problem gets bigger because the hero rebels. And you think everything is getting better, only to find out in the last act that Jonah is mad at God because he didn't annihilate a group of people. I've met some Jonahs in life. <laughs> And there's no resolution. There's no like, there, there, there's no Jonah and God walking on the beach together singing Kumbaya. And it bothers me. Now, I've told you from the beginning, the book of Jonah was written a little bit like a Shakespearean play. Um, and so, let me show you. It's written in two acts, two chapters, one act. Act number two is chapters three and four. I just want to show it to you, and then we're going to use that as our backdrop today. So, here's act one and two. Again, it was written like a stage play. I'll explain a little bit further. Once you know some of the things I'm going to tell you, when you reread it, you will identify some things that maybe you've read past before. So I just want to make some comparisons. So in Act number 1, chapter 1, verse 1, God's Word comes to Jonah. Act, chapter, uh, Act 2, chapter 3, verse 1, God's Word comes to Jonah. Watch the comparison. Now, this is important because the book of Jonah was written like a satire. Um, the best comparison I have, and I don't mean any disrespect to the Word of God, but the book of Jonah was written a little bit for Jonah to make fun of himself. If I was to contextualize it and put it in today's world, it would be like, 
Saturday Night Live doing a skit to make fun of the current political situations, all right? That's really how the book of Jonah is written. And so, in act number one, the message to tell. In, act, in chapter number three, the message to tell. Chapter one, the response of Jonah. Chapter three, the response of Jonah. It's redundant, and it's redundant on purpose And it shows you at the end, as gracious as God was to Jonah, and he got to repeat. How many of you are glad you got to repeat from Act 1 and Act 2? But Jonah doesn't learn anything in the midst of it. Jonah is still the same mad prophet, mad Christian that he was when the play opened. That's what bugs me about the book. It's probably what bugs me as a pastor, that the people, never mind, all right. And the words of warning, and the words of warning, and the response of the pagans, and the response of the pagans, and the response of the pagan leader, and the response of the pagan leader. And then, and then finally, the grace through the big fish, and then in the last chapter, the grace through the plant that grows up and provides him shade. Okay, let me define one word, and then we're going to break this in. If you can see, here's my points. The prodigal prophet, the pattern of love. And the picture of grace, all right? That's what we're going to talk about. But first, let me identify the word satire. The word satire is the use of humor. Now, when we read the book of Jonah, it's already been translated into our language, so we miss really some of the sarcasm that is in the book of Jonah. Uh, Theologians all agree that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah So even after the last sentence in the book of Jonah, we know that Jonah came back somewhere and wrote this book. Otherwise, how would we know what it looked like on the inside of a big fish, right? And so he's making fun of himself a little bit, but watch this. The use of humor, irony, you'll see a ton of irony in this book, exaggeration or ridicule. Jonah is ridiculing himself, all right, when you read the book. And criticizes people's stupidity or vices. How many would agree that Jonah was less than smart in this book, right? Anytime you're going to disobey God, there's your clue. All right, everybody? So Jonah wrote the book. And he's making himself, uh, he's making fun of himself to some degree. And, 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 and everyone, here's one of the ways. Let me just show you one of the ways he's making fun of himself. Everyone and everything in the entire story, obeys God immediately, except for the man of God. He's making fun of himself. In fact, if you pick up on it, if you've read the four chapters, the wind immediately obeyed God's voice. The whale immediately obeyed God's voice. The plant immediately grew and provided shade and obeyed God's voice. The worm that ate the plant, it immediately obeyed God's voice. Everybody and everything obeyed God except the church. I mean, sorry, except the man of God. And so he is using exaggerations and humor repeatedly to make the importance of this point that we cannot be like he was. We cannot sit in church week in and week out, and not hear the voice of God and obey the voice of God. Here's what the book of Jonah also does for us, and here's where I want to build our message today. The book of Jonah, it also serves as a commercial. If I was using more biblical language, I'd say the book of Jonah is a foreshadowing of the New Testament, the New Testament of grace. He is a foreshadow. With all his faults, he is still foreshadowing 
the new covenant, or he's foreshadowing Jesus and the message of grace that is coming under the new covenant that all of us get to live under. I'll show you that in a little bit. Now, now, when you reread the book of Jonah, you're going to see them all over the place. But the book of Jonah is pointing us towards there is a better day coming. They're living under the Old Testament law, trying to be good enough to live in relationship with God. Come on, everybody. But it is pointing us to there's a day that is coming that no matter if you're as bad as the Assyrians, my grace can cover your bad. Come on. That's a good message right there, right, everyone? Okay, so let me show you. So let me just connect some dots into the New Covenant or what we'd call the New Testament from the book of Jonah. And let's see if we can put some application to it. So here it is. First of all, the prodigal prophet. Uh, If you've heard the story of the prodigal son, it's recorded in Luke chapter number 15. and, And I'll read some portions of it. Um, but, but if you've read that story, in the first act that I showed you up here, Jonah is like the younger son that took all of his inheritance and he ran away from the father. In act number two, in, in the second act of this stage play, Jonah is like the son that stayed home and did all the right things but still ended up mad at the father. You guys following me? Act 1 and 2 are shown in the two sons of Luke 15. Let me read some of it to you, and we'll break it down just a little bit. Luke chapter number 15, if you'll notice up here, I'm just going to use some various verses because it's a long chapter, okay? Jesus continued. He had just talked about the lost sheep and the lost coin. Now he's going to talk about the lost son. And so Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he had divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay? So we see the, the younger son is running away from the father. He takes his inheritance, if you know the story. He lives wild. He's with prostitutes. He throws parties. He just lives kind of crazy. He ends up out of money, and he ends up as a Jewish boy feeding pigs and living in the pig pen and eating the food that you're giving the pigs. How many know that's really breaking the law? How many understand? Okay, and so let's pick up the story then. So, so he decides he's going to go home and just beg to be a servant. And so he got up and went to his father. Now, he gets to his father. If you know the story, the father goes running to him. They embrace The father is glad that the son is home, and so the father decides to throw a party. So we pick up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. The older son, the one that did everything right, the one that was home. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? What's this party I hear going on? And the servant says, well, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became, watch this, this this is the verse I want to connect directly to Jonah. The older brother became angry. Say that with me. Angry. Angry. He became angry. It's interesting how self-righteous people always get angry when God's grace shows up because they've worked hard to deserve their blessings, and those living under grace just got God's blessing. Ah. Okay, all right, another sermon another day. And refused 
to go in. He, re- he refused to go into the party. Mm-hmm. So his father, watch the humility of the father. So the father went out and pleaded with him. Does that sound familiar? For God so loved the world that he came to us because we couldn't get to him. You guys tracking with me so far? Okay, let's break this down. First of all, let me tell you why Jesus is telling this story. Because one day, Jesus is there and he's having lunch. And he's having lunch with what the Bible says with the sinners and the tax collectors. And the tax collectors were like a whole nother level of sinners, okay? And some of you would agree. But anyway, so he's sitting there and he's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were angry that he's eating with these sinners, So Jesus knows they're angry, so Jesus tells a story. Basically, he gets into the story of the prodigal son. Now, I grew up in church, and I've heard dozens of messages on the prodigal son that left home, went out and squandered all his inheritance, lived in the pig's pen, and most messages are all about this son. Uh, But Jesus is wanting to emphasize that there are two ways to be distant from the father. And Jonah shows us both in Act 1 and in Act 2. We can be distant from the Father by wild living. And the church loves to talk about those that are wild living that are distant from God. But Jesus is saying, but those that are in the church circle can be just as distant from God because you're living under an umbrella of religion trying to do enough right to please the Father and forgetting that in Him we live and in Him we move. It's not what we've done, but it's what Jesus has done. Right, everyone? Okay, so let me take you just a little bit farther. Let's talk about the two groups in Luke 15 just for a moment. And if I do my job good, I'll connect it back to Jonah. So the two groups, the first group is the tax collectors and the sinners, okay? So they represent, they represent the younger brother, they represent the, the sinners, the bad sinners. We would call, we, we would use terms today like, oh, those drug addicts or those whatever. We'd put some kind of title on it, but they represent the younger brother that runs away from the father, not following the rules, not religious. They're the nasty sinners that the righteous people look down on and point on. It's what Jonah was doing. Jonah was looking down on the Assyrians. That's why he didn't want to go there. Okay? Let's look at the second group. The second group is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And uh, they represent the son that stayed home. They represent Jonah in the second act. They represent the son that followed all the rules, came to church on Sunday, had their Sunday school perfect attendance button on. Come on. They, they had a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on their car. And this parable, as interesting as it is, it ends with the father pleading with the older son to come into the party and rejoice. Mm. And this is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. He's saying, I came from heaven to earth to reach the sinners and the tax collectors, and I desperately want you folks to come join the party. Let me say it another way. I desperately want you, older son, (laughs) to quit drawing lines between how good you are and how bad he is. Jonah, I want you to quit drawing lines between your self-righteousness and those nasty Assyrians, and I want you to come into the party, everybody. Are you guys following what I'm saying so far? So the target of the story, watch this. 
Every message I've heard is about the prodigal that went away. But the message or the target of the story is not about him. The tar- Watch this. The target of the story is not even about the sinners. Because the sinners are already hanging out with Jesus having lunch, everybody. It's the religious folks that wouldn't dare sit down with them. So the target is not the sinners. It's the religious suchy-muchies. Come on now. That's a Greek word I read somewhere. So watch this. Jesus is not dealing with the immoral outsider. Jesus is dealing with the moral insider. The book of Jonah, ha, ha, the, the, the book of Jonah is as much about the Assyrians, which are the immoral outsiders, as it is about Jonah, the immoral insider. So the book of Jonah is not about these nasty Assyrians. The book of Jonah is about the people of God that refuse to engage with the nastiness of this world. So God so loved the world that he decided to come engage with our nastiness and now expects us to engage with the world's nastiness to show the love of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that, everybody, right? He's saying that the irreligious and the religious are both different, are are both distant from the Father, and both of them are equally as lost. The book of Jonah tells us uh, the same story that I just told you in Luke 15. They, They both need grace. Jonah needs grace, and the Assyrians need grace. Those evil, nasty, most violent nation of its time, they need God's grace, but we discover... Jonah needs God's grace too. Amen? Let me say it another way. The same grace that saved you and I is the same grace we need to live every single day to keep from living under condemnation. Amen, everyone? They both need grace. And I wonder sometimes if this, let me just throw this out there. I wonder if churches are not appealing to the wild young son that went out and lived wild Because the voice of the older brother is more dominant and pious in looking down on those. Why don't our church get more people in it that don't look like we do, have the same worldview as we do? If we stand on our platforms and our social medias and beat those people up, we can never reach people that we're hating on. Hello, somebody, right? Now watch this, and I'll move to the next point. Verse 28 I love in verse 28 of Luke 15, it says that the younger son says he was angry and refused to go in. The older brother will will not enter into the party because he's angry. He's angry because his brother doesn't deserve all the blessings. His father put a robe on him, put a ring on him, killed the fatted calf. I know Christians that get angry that the guy that just came in here out of the gangs and off the streets are angry because they're seeing all of God's blessing on their life, but how could God be blessing them when they're not living as good as I am? None of you are like that, but we all know somebody like that, don't we, huh? Right? And and, and so watch watch as we connect the dot. Um, Watch Jonah. Jonah chapter number four. We're all the way to the last chapter. Watch this. But Jonah... Okay, hold on. Let me put it in context. Jonah runs from God. He gets swallowed by the whale. The whale pukes him out. So he decides to go over there and preach to the Assyrians anyway. He tells the Assyrians, if you don't repent 40 days, God's going to destroy all of you. And so they call a fast, and the Assyrians, they repent. And you would think that's where the credits roll. 
the sad, sappy music plays, the lights dim, we all cry and go, wow, God's amazing. But that's not how the story ends. The story ends like Luke 15 ends. The older brother is mad, and the father, in his grace, is left pleading with him. Look at Jonah 4. But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He's angry. See, he went and sat on the outside of the city and waited 39 days, 40 days. Doggone it, God didn't blow him up. Man, that stuff I, I, I posted on social media that if they kept voting this way and believing this way, God was going to get them. And I even put a Bible verse on that. And wow, would you believe that God's grace superseded my social media rant? Isn't that crazy? And so we get mad. How could they be getting away with that? I can't believe those fill in the blank. Those. Oh, it's a temptation. I'm telling you right now. But Jonah was mad because of God's grace on them. And he was so mad, he said, Lord, just kill me now. I mean, how many know that's pretty mad, right? Okay, uh, let me just connect one more dot. So go back to Luke chapter number 15. And so the father, just like in Jonah 4, the father is pleading with Jonah. That's how the story ends. With, with God saying, do you have a right to be mad? Luke 15. Uh, verse number 28, watch this. Do I have that at all? Uh, yeah. So the father went out and pleaded with him. Can I give you the greatest picture of grace you will ever see? A holy God sends his son Jesus to us. And when we reject him, God is pleading with us to receive this free gift of grace. He is pleading through preachers. He is pleading through praying grandmas. He is pleading through life situations. He's pleading through big fish. He's pleading through plants. He's pleading through sailors. He's pleading to tell you, I love you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been. I'm pleading with the church to come on in and let's open our circle and let's all party together every walk of life. Come on now, right? Okay, now watch this. This brings me to point number two then. Point number two is the pattern of love. We have a prodigal prophet and we have a pattern of love. Okay, here's, watch some of the irony and some of the sarcasm right here. The writer, which is Jonah, but the writer is always contrasting Jonah to the very people he doesn't like. Did you notice this in the book? He, he's on the same ship, everybody's in the same boat, with the sailors that have a different worldview than him. And he's constantly comparing and contrasting himself with the very people that he doesn't like. But here's, this, here's the irony. The pagans always look better than the man of God. It's a bad day when the world outside the church is working harder than the church is. To help people get out of the storms of their life. It's a sad day when we sit in here and go, Ooh, I'm glad I'm not in that storm. I'm glad I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm glad I'm not out on the street. I'm glad I'm not selling my body. I'm glad I'm not like one of those. It's a sad day when we sit below the deck, really glad in our righteousness of what we're not doing, and the world is scammering and working and spending time and money and energy to solve the storms that are out there. It's time to come up from below deck, everybody. Come on now. They always are looking better. The sailors are being better neighbors than Jonah's being. 
The sailors, remember, they didn't worship God. They had a pagan God. You guys quiet down. You guys are way too excited. The, the sailors are being better neighbors. Let me say it this way. Jonah forgets he's a part of the human community, not just the faith community. Thank you, Janessa. I'm going to say it again just because you said that. Here's your tweetable moment for the day. Jonah forgets that he's part of the human community, not just the faith community. It's great that we're part of the faith community, but the faith community, until Jesus comes, we're still part of the human community, the needs of the world. Come on, everybody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, when, uh, let me, we see it in the book of Jonah. When he's on the boat, he doesn't do anything. Jonah doesn't do one thing except sleep. And I'm sure they're going, how could you sleep at a time like this? And I wonder if the world is saying to the church, how could you sleep in a time like this? They are trying. The sailors, they're trying. They're praying. They're praying. The man of God's not praying. They're praying. They're throwing things overboard, which represents their money, their livelihood. So they're investing time. They're investing prayer. They're investing money. Watch this. The sailors are concerned for Jonah's safety, but he doesn't care about their safety. Jonah is like, he's kind of like the anti-Good Samaritan. <laughs> you guys know the story of the Good Samaritan? Jonah gives us a picture of the anti-Good Samaritan. See, Jonah is guilty of some, none of you guys, but some church folks that love God but don't care about the people that God cares about. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care about his neighbor. So Jesus is teaching one day, and one of the Pharisees again, I love these Pharisees because they're great examples, all right? And they get up again and they ask him a question. Let's go to Luke chapter number 10. Everybody still with me? Okay, so on one occasion, an expert of the law, don't you love the expert of the law? I'm sure he said something like this, yes, brother, can I have a word? You know, they talk like that, all right? So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? They're trying to trap Jesus. What is, and, and Jesus responds, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that all I got on that? Uh, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do, he said, love your neighbor. You've answered correctly. Then he says, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So watch him. He's trying to, ask, he's trying to trap Jesus. So he asked Jesus. Probably the same question Jonah was asking. Probably the same question a lot of us have been asking in recent years. And just who is my neighbor? Now then Jesus goes into a parable. I won't read it all. I'll just paraphrase it to you. But Jesus goes into a parable and he tells the story. Anybody ever heard of the Good Samaritan parable? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. I'll paraphrase it for you. But as he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he answers the question what a neighbor is. And I, I'm, I'm going to reduce that whole chapter because some of you won't go read it anyway. I'm going to reduce it all the way down, watch this, to what a neighbor is. Here's what a neighbor is. According to Jesus' answer in the parable, a neighbor is a man who gives time and money 
to a man of a different race, a different religion, and a different economic status. That's Jesus. I got one amen. Thank you very much. Just one. He says, who is my neighbor? Jesus goes into a parable of the Good Samaritan. All right? And, and so here's the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus then, to answer the question, I just paraphrase it into there. You're entitled to disagree. Uh, but what's interesting in the story of the Good Samaritan is that he makes the Good Samaritan the hero of the story. Not the priest. Oh, let me tell you the story. So Jesus said one day this guy was out, and he was on a walk, and he got robbed, mugged, and left for dead. He's laying on the street, and a priest leaves his church, and he walks by, and he sees the guy beat up, and he walks on the other side of the street. Let me paraphrase that. The church walks by and says, phew, pity on them. Man, if they'd just get their life together. The Samaritan walks by and says, hold on. He goes over, ministers to him, takes him to an end, and pulls out his credit card. And he says, look, every charge this guy has while you're taking care of him, put it to my charge. Different race, different economic status, right? He gave him his time. He gave him his money. Watch this. It was not the priest that was the hero of the story. It wasn't Jonah that was the hero in the storm. It was the sailors that were the hero of the story. Let me put this in context. The Samaritans, okay, they didn't love God. They were, some, they were just as bad as the Assyrians in Nineveh. The Samaritans, they don't believe in God. They are racially different. They, they, they are socially different. They are economically different. Yet they're the ones that are doing the helping. We cannot let, let me just say it this way. We cannot let the sailors outshine us, Christians. Come on now. We cannot be sleeping below deck while the storm of society is raging. We cannot be all happy like, I got my ticket to heaven. One day it's going to be over while the storm is raging. No, we are mandated as men and women of God and the church of Jesus Christ to show the same grace to others that God shared with us. Come on, are you guys still there? Okay, let me put it in real context. That is why, here's what I've been asking as your pastor. That is why I have called, I've asked for 100% participation. Now, I'm not talking about an amount of money, but right now, most of you already know by now that right now, we're calling our legacy offering for this year. We do a one-time-a-year legacy offering, usually in November. Uh, We moved it forward, our trustees and me, we moved it forward to be the month of August and the month of September that any time of that month, you could give to a legacy offering. This year, we're going to use all of that money to purchase a building. And we're real close to finalizing that. But what we have to have, this to me is not even about the amount of money. It's about the amount of participation. I want every man and woman of God to come up from below the deck and quit depending on somebody else to solve the problem. I think God would honor if his whole church would come together and say, I don't have a lot, but I can throw $100 in. I don't have a lot, but I can throw something in. I can. What would it look like if the body of Christ would all come from below deck and not depend on the government welfare to solve the problems that we know exist in our community. Can I get an amen on that? Because watch this. The sailors are sitting back watching Jonah, the man of God. The sailors, the community is sitting back going, hmm, his private faith is of no public good. (laughs) 
Okay, let me take you to Jesus, all right? That, Jesus makes everything better, all right? So Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, I've said this verse, but I want to show it to you. Uh, Matthew, give me Matthew, yeah. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I'll close this up. In the same way, let your light shine before others. But I love this next verse. Because we like to end the story right there. Let my light shine. This little light of mine. Woo, I'm letting my light shine. But the way you let your light shine, that they may see your good deeds. They got to see our deeds. The world is sick and tired of preachers, and I'm one of them. Sick and tired of our, our view on everything. But what they're not sick and tired of is somebody that'll get out there and do some deeds and feed some hungry and give out some backpacks and open a dream center and care about those that have been forgotten by society. And when they see your deeds, then they will glorify the Father in heaven. In other words, to me, that's how they come to know Christ. Not by Ken's preaching, but by the body of Christ's deeds. Come on. Are you guys with me on that? All right. Well, um, that went over like a lead balloon. But anyway, <laughs> let, me just, let me just bust on social media one more time because you know that's one of my spiritual gifts. <laughs> the world will not see Jesus through our social media rants, everybody. They'll see Jesus through our deeds. Let me close it up. Let me close it up. Give me my third point. My third point in this play is the provisions of grace. We have a prodigal prophet. We have the pattern of love. And we have the provisions of grace. I won't spend a lot on this one, but check this out. The whole book of Jonah is pointing us to the provisions of grace. Those Assyrians, they broke every one of the Ten Commandments. But I want you to go to them because I love them, Jonah. He's beginning to give us a provision of grace. Jonah points us to grace. What is grace? Grace is Jesus. Come on. Grace, his name is Jesus. Grace is not a theology, everybody. Grace is not, well, we believe in grace. That's our theology. No, it's not a theology. It's the whole center and foundation of the Christian movement, everyone. It's what we stand on because we can't stand on our own righteousness, right? So let me make a couple comparisons. With all of Jonah's flaws, he's pointing us towards Jesus. R remember when Jonah said, throw me overboard? Remember that? He tells the sailors, throw me overboard. And he does. And, and, and so what he, they throw him overboard. What he's doing is he's dying to his safety and security. Throw me overboard. I'm coming to an end of myself. <laughs> and what does he do? As soon as he gets thrown overboard, the storms stop and the sailors get saved. Tell me that doesn't look like John 3.16. Tell me that isn't a shadow and a commercial of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to go overboard. I'm going to leave the deity of heaven. And I'm going to go overboard into a storm of sin in a terrible world. And as soon as I get there, the sailors, the world, humans can come to know me and be saved from the storms of life. Are you, are you seeing the commercials? Uh, Jonah was to leave his people and go to sinners. Jonah didn't want to leave his people and go to sinners. But Jesus, thank God, he did leave the safety of heaven and go to us sinners. Aren't you glad for that today, right? 
Um, Mark chapter number four, just, just, this is just trivia. In case you're ever on a trivia show and you win a million dollars, you got it from your pastor. I just want everybody to know. So Mark four, how many remember the story? Jesus is asleep on the boat. Anybody remember this story? Well, that's funny because Jonah's asleep on the boat too. Huh? The sailors say, don't you care? Jesus is sleeping and the disciples say, don't you care? There's so many parallels because Jonah is pointing us to grace. And, um, and, G, and, and, and the most obvious one is Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, three nights. Jesus was in the tomb. And the tomb spit him back out. And it's when Jonah was spit out that his, his heart changed. Um, I open this today's message with good endings of movies and bad endings of movies. We're, we're really unsure how Jonah's story really ends. We know how the movie ends, and it's like, man, that was a terrible cliffhanger. We think that Jonah finally reconciled with God because somebody wrote the book of Jonah and made fun of Jonah. And all theologians agree that it was Jonah. Here, here's how I want to end the series, and it's just a real simple application. How's your movie going to end? Is it going to end with you mad at God or mad at politicians or mad at social whatever or mad at? Or is it going to end like it's a wonderful life with you living in and sharing God's grace? I'll tell you a story real quick. Uh, I was in the seventh grade and I had just moved to. Mississippi, everybody. Anybody here ever been to Mississippi? It's a whole nother planet. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> I moved to Mississippi from Chicago, Illinois. How many know there's a possibility I wasn't fitting in? I had only lived in Chicago one year and had moved there from Oakland, California. How many know there might have been a problem fitting in? I showed up from Oakland. I had little seashell beads on. I had long, like long hair. Looked like a little Indian boy. Just tan, black hair, seashell. My little surfing shirt on showed up to Chicago, and they beat me up. Just metaphorically. So I traded in my surfer T-shirt and got me a silk shirt. Come on, how many remember them silk shirts? Got me some bell bottoms. Come on, Carmen. Yeah. And I started hanging out in Chicago, and until a day that a gang jumped me and my sister, we got kicked out of our apartment because I fought back. My mom moved us to Mississippi. So there I show up to Mississippi, Delta land, farmland, USA, with my silk shirt. <laughs> Still have my seashell necklace on. I didn't fit. I was confused. I didn't know that there were people that were so different didn't know everybody dressed different, talked different. There was a guy, a group of guys that decided they didn't like me, and they were going to mess with me, and they started messing with me. But there was this one guy that was one year ahead of me in the eighth grade, and his name was Nathan. Nathan was built like he was 20 years old. He had muscles in places I didn't even have places. And because I joined the football team, Nathan said, don't you mess with him. He's my friend. And those guys never messed with me again. 
I should have named my firstborn son Nathan. I love Nathan. <laughs> I'd walk around hallways. Yeah. He's my friend. One day, a bunch of kids, we, we moved from the seventh grade through the eighth grade. And we all got to the high school years. Nathan was a year ahead of us. He started in high school before the rest of us. He was in the ninth grade. He was the first player in our school that, as a ninth grader, started on the varsity football team. He was a mountain of a guy. I really think he had failed the eighth grade 23 times. That's what I thought. <laughs> but he looked like a man, like he had hair on his face, and we were like, man, I don't even have hair on my armpits yet, you know? I mean, he was just this mountain of a man. And he said, don't you mess with him. One day, a bunch of them were at school, were after school, before, after football practice, went down to what we called the canals. And if you've ever been to Mississippi, Mississippi doesn't have water like we have out here in the Pacific Northwest. See, out here, it's like clear. You can actually, it's, it's clear. When you get a handful of water, scoop up water in Mississippi, it looks like chocolate milk, everybody. It's the muddy, delta, just dirty waters. A bunch of the guys from the football team were out there. One of the guys, Nathan, was sitting up on a branch of a tree above the little area where everybody was swimming. And somebody said, I dare you to jump. People were jumping and diving in the canal. And Nathan, he stood up on that branch and he jumped. And he speared straight down in the water. In the water in Mississippi, the bottoms are not like here where it's all rocks and pretty. Just mud. Nathan speared all the way up past his knees, almost to his hips in the mud, and he couldn't get loose. Now, this is a terrible way to end a message, but Nathan died on that day. Everyone knew that one day Nathan would probably play NFL football. Everybody knew that one day Nathan might even go to the Olympics and break records. We all talked about what Nathan would do, but none of us predicted that Nathan's movie would end short in a muddy canal in Mississippi. It was a terrible end to a great movie. Why do I say that story? The reason I tell that story, I didn't even put that into the message until this morning. The reason I tell that story is because Radius's movie is off to a wonderful start. But I beg you, church, let's not get like Jonah. Let's not be like the son that stayed home. Let's not have a terrible interstellar village movie end. Let's have It's a Wonderful Life movie end and share this wonderful message of grace with the world that God has planted us in. Would you help me do it, everybody? Come on, would you say a good amen? Right. Would you stand with me all over this place?